feel they've been subjected to retaliation after reporting the crime. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Create more turbulence. The economic statistics. A triple dead recession. Collapsing commodities. Monetary policy has to do the heavy lifting work. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to this Friday's edition of Money for Nothing. The ECB will prepare, uh, is set to prepare broad-based QE package for its January policy meeting. U.S. jobless claims fell and China eases restrictions on gold imports. We close out this week with a look at the ECB's policy decision. We look at frontier markets and also at Hong Kong startups. We'll begin with a discussion on the U.S. jobs data and investment strategy with Robert Howe of Geometrix. We'll also have a look then at frontier market Opportunities and specifically in the context of Nigeria, uh, Gbite Odune of ANO Acquisitions will join us to talk about uh, the Nigerian Stock Exchange and what it offers for Hong Kong investors. And then in our final segment, we'll talk with Dustin. Ong Hang Seng of Yuho, uh, which is a Hong Kong startup, about his efforts to develop a Wi-Fi-enabled device for healthier living. Joining us for the half hour as guest host is Richard Harris of Port Shelter Investment Management. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Renita. Do you have a fun Friday fact for us today? Well, I'm not sure it's so fun, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, as you probably know, in the last three months, the mainland uh, in China the market, uh, the Shanghai Composite Index, is up 39%. Hong Kong just up 2%. Now, that's pretty unusual because over recent years, Hong Kong and China have followed each other. Um, that's a difference of something like 37%. And in value terms, that's about 7 trillion Hong Kong dollars off the Hong Kong stock market. Well, is it a wonder then that anybody is just uh, headed anywhere but northbound? Well, that's what uh, it seems to be. Of course, the other thing is, is that gap going to close? You know, if we do see some sort of resolution with um, uh, in Central um, and maybe a little bit of better news in Hong Kong, that gap will close. So the jury's out on both sides. Absolutely. All right, let's look at today's top stories. The European Central Bank has disappointed investors by leaving key interest rates on hold and making no announcement of fresh stimulus measures. Now, this is despite all of Mario Draghi's hints of willingness to act more forcefully to stimulate the sluggish Eurozone economy. Sentiment was not helped by the ECB's comments that the economy had deteriorated since its last forecasts were published in September. It cut its prediction for GDP growth in the Eurozone from 0.9% to 0.8% this year and from 1.6% to 1% in 2015. Nouriel Roubini is the chairman of Roubini Global economics and he's also a professor at NYU Stern School of Business and he says that there are numerous risks out there and that Europe is only one shock away from deflation. The ECB should have done quantitative easing already a year ago and even now after the revision downward the inflation and growth forecast they're doing nothing. It's like a fire truck next to the fire ready to have the hose of liquidity saying well unless the entire city burns down I'm not going to use it. So they're waiting until it's going to be too late. Inflation in the Eurozone is 0.3 and in their own forecast today they've said that for next year they've not fully included the fall in all prices occurred further during the last month. So they have to revise them further downward because those forecasts were made a month ago. 
So what does it mean to be in a deflationary spiral? It's not something that the U.S. necessarily needs to be concerned about right now. But in Europe, this is a real scare. So the question is then, why won't Draghi pull the trigger? Uh, there is a division. You know, you have a eurozone of 18 countries. There are 24 members of the council. Uh, certainly Weidmann, the head of the Bundesbank, and others are resisting it. But the drug has to get a green light from Berlin. In some sense, what Weidmann thinks doesn't matter. If Berlin decides that they can go ahead with QE, they're going to do it. And I think QE is going to come by January, February, at the latest. First of all, they should increase the balance sheet by trillion over 12 months. I fear the decision is going to be of increasing it over two years. That's not sufficient. And as Draghi has pointed out in his Jackson Hole speech, you need to also have the right fiscal policy because QE worked in the U.S. and U.K. because you had monetary stimulus and you had backloaded fiscal consolidation. In the Eurozone, you had that front-loaded fiscal consolidation. And in the case of Japan, the first round of Abenomics was monetary and fiscal stimulus. The economy slowed down only when they started doing the fiscal tax increase this year. Therefore, you need to have fiscal stimulus in the Eurozone, as Draghi had said, in addition to the monetary. If you do just the monetary, it's not going to be enough. You have to boost aggregate demand. On both counts, the Eurozone is going to come too little too late. So Draghi appears to be conflicted, and it doesn't seem like uh, it's easy to get things done in Europe. So how realistic is it then that we'll see QE happen that soon? Jack Bogle is the founder and former head of the Vanguard Group, and he says it's not all about Draghi. He doesn't have unlimited powers. Uh, you know, those central banks can, of, the, of the individual nations can speak for themselves in many respects. So uh, it's, a, it's an odd system. Uh, you know, the monetary policy is set by the, by the banks, but the, uh, the fiscal policy is set by the government, governments themselves, and nobody can control that. You can push, put pressure on them, as we certainly did in Greece, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very tough situation, and I guess the real question is, what should anybody do about it? So this then begs the question as to whether the European Union experiment actually works. In the very beginning... Uh, I've been very concerned about a European Union that leaves fiscal policy one place and monetary policy in another. It doesn't seem to me that's a very good ingredient. So, uh, you know, I, I, it's hard to say it's the end of it. Uh, you know, it's over, that it's broken and it can't be fixed. Because extricating oneself, the nations, from this uh, central bank is not going to be easy. Uh, and e even, you know, the euro may ultimately be endangered. But uh, I'm not sure. I just don't know the economic consequences of all that. But I think the markets are wise, mostly. The markets have all this information. Uh, European stocks are priced at lower multiples than U.S. stocks because of this risk. So um, I, I think investors, at least at the moment, should probably... I don't happen to invest in non-U.S. stocks, but investors in non-U.S. stocks, uh, you know, if I'm a U.S. investor, I would not be a market weight in uh, non-U.S. stocks, which is around 52 or 3 percent. So U.S. stocks follow, followed European markets lower overnight. The Dow eased 12 points to 17,900. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq also both lost about a tenth of a percent to end at uh, 2,071 and 4,769 respectively. Richard, can you bring us up to date on other markets elsewhere? Yes, European markets found Super Mario's comments quite disappointing, falling across the board. Uh, Germany's DAX fell 1.2% to 9,851, uh, while a CAC fell 1.5%, 4,323. Uh, but the outstanding performance yesterday was Shanghai, with the composite index up 4.31% as investors flooded in. The market's now on a tear, up 
something like 37% on, on the year, uh, and almost all of it since mid-July with the market ending at 2,900. Yeah, Shanghai's been outstanding. We've been talking about that a lot. Why is it up so much? Well, you know, there's talk about authorities injecting liquidity, and uh, it looks as if the Shanghai-Hong Kong uh, stock connect, which we all thought might help Hong Kong, is actually helping China even more. Um, but I think what's actually happening is the usual panic by investors. They see a market moving. They're underweight. They want to get in. There are ways that foreigners can invest in the market and there is an element of pressure and prices are all made on the margin so that's pushing the market up excellent all right well uh, switching gear to the usa america's labor market is improving the number of americans filing new claims for unemployment benefits dropped by 17,000 to a seasonally adjusted 297,000 last week. Richard, do you want to give us a story? Yes, indeed. On the line, we've got Robert Howe, who's Chief Executive Officer of Geomatrix, which is a Hong Kong fund management company, but he happens to be in New York. Uh, Good evening, Bob. Hey, good evening. Good, nice to hear from you. Um, Let's talk about jobs first. We had the jobs figures yesterday, uh, uh, state unemployment uh, benefits um, dropped 17,000 to seasonally adjusted 297,000 for the week. Now, uh, this jobs number um, reversed the prior week's increase. So jobless claims falling, is that a good thing? Yeah, of course it is. I mean, the expectations were for, um, you know, a better improvement. Um, You know, my concern has always been that a lot of Americans have left the, the labor force, uh, but you know it's certainly better than when when unemployment was rising. But there's also quite a lot still, I believe, of underemployment. You know, uh, degree holders uh, making coffee and this sort of thing. Yeah, uh, you could probably add three percent to the unemployment rate, and there there are estimates that are that are higher than that, but. You know, the, the concern is that, that the more the labor market improves, the less the need for quantitative easing, that the, they can de- declare mission accomplished and everything is fine now. So I actually looked at, you know, the, the sort of disappointment versus expectations is a good thing. I want to see the labor market stay a little bit shaky because that means QE stays in place and stocks keep going higher. But is that likely to happen because now QE seems pretty well to have closed? There does seem to be a bias now towards uh, increasing interest rates. Um, I don't know. I mean, the latest Fed, Fed talk was, you know, extending the increase in interest rates, you know, further into 2015. Um, you have the deficit has come down quite dramatically. So, we, you know, just the bond buying that's going on now, though it's diminishing, is still a greater percentage of the bond offering than you had, say, a year ago. So the Fed is a bigger percentage buyer now in the market each each and every month than it was before. Um, so you know we're, we don't we don't think they're taking away the punch bowl quite yet. Right, we're still hooked on it. Um, let's move uh, to closer shores now. Remember when we worked with each other, you were the Japanese guru, um, and I think you're still bullish on Japan. Yeah, we we thundered in in October. We were lucky that they, we had that Halloween surprise of uh, you know shock and all QE. You know the economy weakened after the, the sales tax increase, and again the, the monetary authorities react to a weakening economy. You know what's bad for Main Street is actually good for Wall Street. A weaker economy means that there's monetary loosening that always pushes up stock prices. So we're getting a, a shock and all QE two, as it were, in Japan. The yen's already to 120. It's moved, uh, you know, from 103 or something on on Halloween night. 
Uh, and we're, we, we piled into there's some very good uh, Japanese companies in the export sector, really global killers, and we piled into those and have done quite well. But, Bob, what you get with one hand, you get taken away with the other, because if you're a U.S. dollar investor like most of us in Hong Kong, you're getting hurt on the currency, or are you hedging the currency and just staying with the stocks? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of brokers will allow you to borrow the yen to buy shares, and so you have an immediate natural hedge, which is what we do. And we've got some interesting news out, uh, I see, from Sony, who uh, appear to have lost uh, some of their data. Um, what's the story there? Well, I think that's that's a watershed event. We'll look back and say, oh, my God, you know, we've had several data breaches in the U.S. and, and elsewhere, you know, Target, a big retailer, client data, then MasterCard, more client data, Home Depot client data. And, you know, management don't care that much about client data. The heads don't roll. Sony was a massive, massive data breach, really just cyber war, uh, in which all their films are now available on BitTorrent, future films included. The scripts are all out there for next year's films. And then salary and performance evaluation and the kind of stuff which is going to motivate. Remember, fear is the great motivator in life. And what's happened is top management has now revealed that, that the woman sitting neck in the office next to them was paid $700,000 a year less than they were. Bob, every uh, top management of every company is going to be scared about this. And I think, I think the cybersecurity business is about to quintuple. Well, it looks as if we'll all be watching uh, Sony Mubu movies over Christmas. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Robert Howe. Um, enjoy New York over Christmas. And uh, that's Bob Howe, Chief Executive Officer of Geomatrix Hong Kong. All right. Thank you, Richard. And uh, let's take a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is down two-fifths of a percent to 17,818. Australia's ASX index is up a quarter of a percent to 5,358. And in currencies, the euro is currently trading at 1.23 U.S. dollars. One U.S. dollar buys you 119 yen. And one pound sterling is currently worth 12 Hong Kong dollars and 15 cents. The time is 8.17 a.m. and Africa has been garnering more attention as an investment destination uh, because there are many countries in Africa which are frontier markets, uh, such as Nigeria, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. Now, Richard, uh, before we sort of go into the segment, to put this in context, can you explain to our listeners uh, what a frontier market is? is and how it actually differs, let's say, from an emerging market. Yes, well, frontier markets are, are, are the, the new hot thing in a way because you have the developed markets, you have what we call the emerging markets, and these are all things that we know quite well, you know, like um, uh, China and Thailand. Uh, and then we come to the frontier markets area, which are uh, another stage again, but which still have stock markets, very thin, small stock markets, but, but they're still there, markets like Nigeria, African markets, Eastern European markets, even places and, like and Mongolia. These, these are actually subsects of emerging markets, but they're just not as uh, they're relatively less developed. Is no, that right? they're, actually, they're actually seen as a separate category these days. They're, they're probably where emerging markets were 20 years ago. You know, they're not very liquid, but they are interesting. And, and most of these markets have one or two stocks that, um, 
that are good. In fact, the performance hasn't been too bad over this difficult period, probably because nobody's been interested. Okay, so the Nigerian stock market is uh, one that we don't hear about a lot in Hong Kong, but it is one way to gain access to the huge growth story in Africa. It's become a popular market for direct foreign investment and portfolio investment. Uh, so we have joining us in the studio now, uh, Mr. Bite Odune, who is the CEO and founder of A&O Acquisitions. Good morning, Bite. Good morning, Renita. Thank uh, you very welcome. much for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us on uh, Money for Nothing. You are visiting Hong Kong for a roadshow which is designed to promote uh, the Nigerian Stock Exchange. So can you tell us about that? And that's very right. Um, the roadshow started on December the 1st um, in Singapore. Um, we met a, a number of fund managers as well as um, high network individuals and government officials really to promote uh, the Nigerian Stock Exchange and to talk in detail about the Nigerian economy. Um, leading the delegation was the CEO of the Stock Exchange, Mr. Oscar Onyema, as well as uh, over 40 CEOs of uh, listed companies. It involved uh, a number of conversations um, with regards to the opportunities that did ex- do exist in the Nigerian market. We were then in Hong Kong on the 3rd of uh, December, which was on Wednesday. We were at the Mandarin Oriental. Um, very similar um, thing where we met a number of fund managers. And as we speak now, they're starting off in um, Beijing for the last stage of the of the roadshow. They're at the Shangri-La Hotel, the New World Hotel in Beijing this morning. Okay, so c- can you give us a brief? How can investors here actually access the stock exchange? And uh, are they looking at individual Nigerian stocks? Are there funds out there? Are there ETFs? You know, g- give us uh, the highlights. Yes, there are. There, there are. Uh, about 206 listed companies on the Nigerian Stock Exchange. So um, um, the access to the markets can be done through through brokers. A number of uh, um, foreign brokers also do um, give enable foreign investors trade on the market. We do have uh, a number of ETFs, not uh, as many. Um, we have four ETFs at the moment, uh, which enable you trade um, different sectors of the economy. Um, a number of uh, um, private equity companies um, are also um, accessing the market through um, direct deals with companies. So it is, um, it's not as uh, um, large as what we are used to, um, Hong Kong or London or New York. But um, we're using this exercise to um, you know, further showcase the opportunities. Uh, and we believe um, and with time, the more we do this, um, investors would uh, definitely look into the Nigerian market. Abite, it's not the best timing because, of course, Nigeria has been hit. The stock market has been hit recently because Nigeria is uh, an oil economy and the oil price has gone down. Um, what do you think about the timing? Um, well, um, we didn't expect, uh, um, you know, in the last, uh, the, the price of oil has fallen close to 36% uh, uh, this year. We didn't expect it to, you know, have happened. It's, it, it's um, unfortunate. But uh, all the same, we see it as a, a short-term um, measure, um, a very, very good opportunity um, for um, investors who do have a long-term focus to take, a, you know, take advantage of the market. I mean, it has been a a perfect storm, to say the least, because earlier on in the year we did have the Ebola crisis. Um, the Nigerian government acted uh, um, very fast uh, to that. We are we're now Ebola free. Um, also, we do have um, elections coming up uh, early next year, and uh, normally in the cycle um, we do see um, the markets. Uh, a lot of foreign investors do pull out a bit uh, to wait to see what the future um, um, would hold. But um, what what we d- we do say is. Um, we do believe um, the, the 
Minister of Finance, for example, has said um, we do have plans for a um, dwindling oil price. It has been difficult. Um, it's not something that can be avoided. But if you do have a long-term focus, we do see it as a perfect opportunity to um, you know, take advantage. Indeed. And you know, some of these you know, shocks to the system uh, are not necessarily a bad thing when it comes to investing. I mean, after all, lower prices uh, represent a buying opportunity. Exactly. Now, uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, value. What is the price-equity ratio? Uh, average that we're looking at, you know, for Nigeria. Well, at the at the at the moment, we're looking at about a, 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 you know thirty to one um, returns on the on the market on most uh, most companies uh, over the course of. I mean, this year hasn't particularly been uh, a great for returns in the market. Last year, for example, we were the, uh, one of the the third highest performing stock markets in the world. We had returns of about thirty three percent. This year has not been particularly great as, as in the last. Uh, 10 weeks, for example, the market itself has lost close to 15% as a result of um, um, these headwinds that we have experienced and witnessed. Um, but on, on the overall, um, due to the rebasing of the Nigerian economy, we're now the largest um, economy in, in Africa. So we do believe going forward, um, next year, for example, we, we do expect to see returns of close to 20%, um, all things being equal. Um, if you do have a long-term focus, um, and we do think um, it's one of the m- more exciting places uh, to take advantage. And apart from the stock exchange itself, um, the um, broader economy does offer a number of opportunities for investors um, um, who don't want to take advantage of the market. Okay, Bite, unfortunately, we are out of time. So uh, thank you for joining us this thank morning. Thank you very much for having me. I'm certainly looking forward to uh, investigating with my broker as to you know how I can access this, as yes. is Richard. I know he's smiling. I can see him smiling, that broad smile. Well, huh? I, I would like to say um, thanks again for having us. We will be back uh, again and again. We do understand that investing in Asia is about um, building relationships and um, doing public relation tours like this. So it's, it's the first of uh, many to come. Fantastic. Let us know when you're back and we'll be happy to have you on the show Thank again. you very much, Renita. All right. That is uh, Mr. Bite Odune, who is the CEO and founder of A&O Acquisitions. Well, are you tired of Hong Kong's dirty air? Uh, Richard, I know you are and I certainly am. So um, it's a good morning for us. It's a good Friday morning because we're going to say hello to YooHoo. Uh, YooHoo is a home health device useful for anyone suffering from respiratory sensitivities um, like you and I. It works by monitoring air quality and sending out medical alerts to your smartphone. So let's welcome Dustin Ong Hang Seng, who is the CEO and founder of YooHoo. Good morning, Dustin. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. And thanks for, you know, bringing us clean air. I mean, I know that that's a very wide statement, but uh, we can only hope, right? <laughs> yep. So uh, tell us about YooHoo. The device isn't an air filter, but it's an air quality monitor. What, what's the difference? So the difference is an elf air filter tries to clean the air for you, whereas an air monitor gives you information about the air that you breathe. And what's more important is we need to understand the air that we breathe in. So I spoke too soon by saying that it's actually bringing us clean air. It's actually bringing us information. Is that, is yes, that correct? that's correct. Okay. So how does this uh, device actually work? What is happening and what do I end up seeing on my smartphone? So how this works is you basically put the device at home or in your office and it would understand the air quality that you breathe in. And with the smartphone app, we can actually integrate information about your health and the air quality. And what we try to do is we predict when you might get a respiratory condition, such as asthma, rhinitis, or allergies, so, so that you can prevent it. 
uh, Justin, how is this any different to simply looking at uh, the weather observatory site to see, you know, what the high pollution days are? Oh, so if you look at just the weather observatory site, what you see is air pollution outdoors. Mm-hmm. What we're measuring is indoors because the activities that you do at home actually contribute to indoor air pollution. And if you look at studies done by the US EPA or even by the WHO, they always say that indoor air pollution is two to five times worse than outdoors. Really? So, I mean, the common thinking is that, you know, you're traveling from place A to place B, but once you get home or to your office, you can shut all of the dirt outside. That's not true? No, that's not true. You can shut the dirt outside, but there's also some dirt indoors. Did you know that? Well, I, I, I... Try to work out. So this gives you air quality indicators outside, which, of course, a lot of apps do. Mm-hmm. But does this do something inside as well, or does it do some calculation or something to, to get you a, a sense of maybe what you might be breathing indoors? Yeah, so what we do is we develop our own machine learning technology and our software. And what we do there is we can predict when you might get a respiratory condition based on the air that you breathe. Okay, so is the device actually available right now? So we're on pre-orders right now, and we'll be shipping by June or July okay. next year. Okay, and where can we find out more about uh, the product? So you can go to our website. It's uhoinc.com. Fantastic. And Dustin, mm-hmm. before, before we wrap up the segment, uh, your company has actually been uh, launched by InvestHK. Is that right? Uh, Invesc HK helped us get into this program, so he recommended us. Okay, can you yeah. tell us a little bit about the program so that our listeners who are, who are interested uh, can perhaps follow in your footsteps? So Invesc HK is one of the government agencies here in Hong Kong that helps startups in terms of the PR, in terms of setting up companies, and in terms of work visas for foreigners and all that. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Dustin Ong Hang Seng, who is the co-founder and CEO of YooHoo. Thank you. Okay, well, it is that time of the year again, and Santa Claus is definitely coming to town. We've been talking a lot about Operation Santa Claus and all of our efforts here at RTHK to raise funds for various charities through this annual giving program. I'd like to quickly highlight uh, the holiday quiz night that will happen on Monday night next week. That's December 8th at Grappa's Cellar. Uh, we have 20 teams who are going head-to-head to compete with each other uh, on all sorts of uh, trivia questions to raise money for charity. Richard, I'm going to throw this out to you because I know that you have a team of 10 people and you are very, they are very competitive. Well, you know, we've already been competing in terms of uh, getting numbers of people in there. But of course, it's just not, not the, just the numbers of people. You've got to be smart as well. So, or actually, we'll take some people who are not so smart, but well, the I, smart ones have to answer the questions. I know that you've got a lot of very smart people on your team, as does Peter Lewis, by the way, who is another one of our co-hosts on Money for Nothing. He's got a team of also, I think, nine or ten people. So we're going to have a lot of Money for Nothing representatives. And um, listeners, there is still some place out there for you if you would like to participate, either as individuals who'd like to form teams or uh you know, if you want to uh, just come on and join another team, we'd love to see you on Monday night. Richard, uh, quickly to uh, wrap up uh, today's show, is there anything else that we should be looking out for? Well, I think we're really looking at China between now and the end of the year. 
Okay, wonderful. Well, a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is down half a percent to 17,783. Australia's ASX index is also down just slightly to 5,342. And Seoul's Kospi is up just slightly to 1,988. This is Renita Malhotra-Hora wrapping up Money for Nothing this week. A quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be mainly cloudy cold with a few rain patches in the morning. The temperature right now is 13 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 85%. And now it's time for the half-hour news summary with Samantha Butler. The doctor monitoring the five hunger-striking students from Scholarism says they're in a stable condition, although very weak. Three of them have been without food since Monday night as they try to press the government to restart talks on political reform. The head of the Occupy Central medical team, Dr Al Yukai, told RTHK this morning that he advised the students to try to conserve their energy, in particular the group's convener, Joshua Wong. At the time being, they're quite stable, except some of them feel uh, weak, especially uh, Joseph. The other four, probably they will more remain quiet and uh, stay calm. But, uh, you know, Wong is much more active. And even though he sit down, he, he thinks a lot and also plan a lot and discuss with a lot of people. So that makes him consume his uh, body reserve much faster than the others. The chief executive, C.Y. Leung, says the Occupy movement can't be allowed to continue without an end. In an exclusive interview with the Hong Kong Economic Times, he said many of the protesters still occupying streets were the more radical ones.